Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. Songcraft brings you conversations with and about the men and women who've put pen to paper, hands to keyboards, and fingers to strings to create lyrics and music that stand the test of time. You probably know the names, and you definitely know the songs. We bring you the stories. Keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, or our website by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. While Songcraft is always free, if you believe in our mission of preserving and presenting these important conversations, we invite you to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. There you can help support us with a voluntary monthly pledge that will also give you access to bonus content and other extras as our way of saying thanks for your continued support. You're listening to Same Love a major hit for Macklemore and Ryan Lewis that was co-written by and features the voice of our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Mary Lambert. The Grammy Song of the Year nominee will join us in part three of the show. But first in part one, we give a John Jorgensen CD to a lucky listener. And in part two, Scott and I talk about the songs that make us cry. Part one. So uh, one of the things we like to do on the show from time to time is little contests and giveaways and stuff like that. And on our previous episode, we had the phenomenally talented John Jorgensen as our guest. And John was kind enough to sign um, his most recent CD, which is the John Jorgensen Bluegrass Band. The album is called From the Crow's Nest. And uh, John brought a copy along, signed it. And um, we said, hey, if you're interested in winning this, um, send us an email and uh, you'll be entered in the drawing. So we have randomly selected a lucky winner, and the person's name is... Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Dan Swallow. Dan Swallow. So Dan Swallow, congratulations. You uh, are the lucky winner of the signed John Jorgensen Bluegrass Band CD. So we'll reach out to you uh, via email and get your your details and, and all that good stuff and get this thing in the mail. And Dan, it's a free country. You can do what you want. You can say what you want. But don't ever say we never gave you anything here at Songcraft. Because <laughs> that would be false. That would be a lie. We do love to uh, to interact with people. And, you know, we've got our Patreon page, which you can find at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Songcraft Show. And uh, that's a place where people can go and uh, and make a monthly pledge and, and be a part of what we do here. But even if you don't do that, we encourage you to still uh, enter our contests and stuff. And we'll have uh, another one of them coming up real soon, I'm sure. Part two. So here we are about to embark upon another interview where I'm not there. I'm not asking any questions. <laughs> right. I'm not a part of the conversation. Well, but you, I, you, you were there. I was there. That's the thing. I, I think people might have this impression that I'm lazy or that I'm not showing up to these things or something. I was here this time. Yeah. We had mic problems. Yeah. So I sat there quietly just manning the computer. You did. You were producing the heck out of it. That's why it sounds so good. It might have been one of the more humble moments of my songcraft career, <laughs> but you know, the first shall be last, as you, they say. You could them. not uh, interject your your typical witticisms. <laughs> I know, dude. I, which... dude. I had so many funny things I wanted to say. Right. But yeah. uh, you, the listener, are deprived of that this time. <laughs> um, talking got, with Mary Lambert. Yeah, we, we got into some heavy topics, so you're funny, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you trying to insert your quips may not have... Uh, it, it might not have been the right have, time. might not have worked. Yeah, we, we talked with, with Mary Lambert. Um, this was about a year ago, actually, that, that we did this conversation. Yep. And the reason for that is... We've got what I think they call an embarrassment of riches. We've got this this great virtual warehouse on our computer of all these fantastic interviews we've done. And people have actually said, well, why don't you guys do Songcraft every week so we get more of these things out, which we would love to do. Yeah, we're but tired. Yeah, we, we're old men, <laughs> we're and it humans. takes a long time to, yeah. uh, to, to edit all these things and get them ready. So, um, so sometimes there is a bit of a lag between when we record it and, yeah. and when we – um, get it out. And that's because we've got so much darn good stuff. But uh, I feel like we're hoarders, you know, like we've stockpiled <laughs> all these great interviews. So when the, when the apocalypse comes, we'll still have plenty. We'll still be posting songs. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> so in the post-apocalyptic world, you'll have something to listen to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> While you're living in the bunker. But you, like you said, we did talk to Mary about some, some emotional topics. Yeah. And it got me thinking as far as like a conversation for you and I to have to kind of lead off this whole thing about songs that have made you cry. Hmm. And I've known you for a long time. Yeah. I've probably I've maybe seen you cry a time or two. Doubt it. But I I may not, I probably <laughs> haven't. I mean, I was there at your wedding. Yeah. Um I don't remember if you cried then or not. I mean, the photographer was late. You might have cried over that. <laughs> um 
But yeah, I'm not a big not a big crier. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, my mom and I would watch TV, and whether it be the Waltons or a Hallmark commercial, she would uh, be reduced to a puddle of tears in in moments, and then she would look at me and go, "You're an emotional cripple." <laughs> <laughs> What, so. what son hasn't heard that from their mother a time or two? <laughs> so, no, I'm not a bit. You're, you're right. I'm not a, a big crier. The, on the rare occasions when I do cry, I cry about everything that I hadn't cried about for the previous 10 years. So it's just like an, an absolute deluge <laughs> right. of tears. Cumulative thing. An embarrassing experience. <laughs> well, I'm sure in your, you know, 40 some odd years of life, mm-hmm. you can pick three songs that have made you cry. Oh, man. Okay. Um, you want me to start and give you a minute? Yeah, I need a minute for sure. The first time that I remember crying at a song, uh, I was 15 years old, and my, my love for Elton John's been well documented in this process, but my, right. my mom dropped me off at the Grand Ole Opry House in Nashville at the age of 15. Um, I had a single ticket to wow. go see Elton John, and uh, he played by himself without a band, just him and the piano, and right. I'd, I'd never seen him or anyone of that stature before, and he came out and he opened with a song called 60 Years On hmm. uh, from the Elton John album in 1970. I'd never heard the song before. Right. Um, but just him at the piano, he started playing. I was overwhelmed by the whole experience of it, you know, just learning to deal with my emotions anyway. Right. So as a 15-year-old kid, I sat there in my Grand Ole Opry house seat and <laughs> cried while Elton John played 60 Years On. Wow. Yep. Wow. So hopefully I gave you enough time to think of one. Yeah, mine is, uh, is, is a little less poignant. Um, but you know at the beginning of the Muppet movie when... <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> Where Kermit is, he's he lives in the in the swamp or whatever. But he, you know, he wants to go to Hollywood, and he's he's singing. Why are there so many songs <laughs> about, about rain? Yeah. yeah, which there aren't, by the way. Right, that <laughs> right, dude. I, I I actually cried at that before because it seems so hopeless and like he he has this sort of hope but dude you live in a swamp and you're not going to get out and the melody of that song is so beautiful i know it sounds completely ridiculous but i have i have teared up to um to kermit the frog i was hoping you would take this seriously you know i mean (laughs) that's that's it man i cried at that song all right well um i'm going to significantly drag the mood down a bit because we are talking about tears and heavy stuff um so there's a song uh, by Pearl Jam called Off He Goes. Right. And uh, it's off the record uh, No Code, which came out when I was in college. And it's really a song about a friend that comes and goes and, and never really stops to stay for very long. And, and so the, the song is always about kind of wanting to hold on to him a little more. And, right. Um, but when I heard it as I got older, it sounded like it was about my dad who had dementia, like hmm. the, the, the imagery and and the lines in the song were really really applicable to him and so uh yeah for uh, about a five-year period every time i i heard it 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 made me cry and then of course now my my emotions are completely seared and uh and i'm i'm able to look at the song as an objective Mm. thing again but for a while it was like radioactive right right yeah um so yeah off he goes by pearl jam used to always get me now you have dealt with it uh always resolved of course you shall not shed a tear again never have another sad moment (laughs) um okay so there's a song by uh remember matthew sweet had the uh the song girlfriend back in the in the 90s there's a song on that, I think it's on the same record as Girlfriend, called You Don't Love Me. Hmm. And that was a song I used to like to listen to uh, back in my melodramatic college years. <laughs> um, if I was like experiencing a breakup or some sort of romantic disappointment, which uh, I, I experienced a good number of romantic disappointments, <laughs> um, which often comes before a breakup because you got to get to a certain point to sure. be able to break up. Why would you break up? Yeah, so... Um, but that was one song in particular that I, I remember having cried to that song. Uh, you don't love me, but, and it was one of those songs, like when you're sad and you're like, I'm going to put this song on because I'm going to wallow in it. Yeah. Like yeah. it was, you know, just a sad kind of self-pitying, uh, breakup song. So that, that is another song that I can recall crying to. Can you imagine if Kermit the Frog had sung that song, how it oh, would have leveled you? It would have been devastating. <laughs> 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 that artist with that material? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, well, my, my third one is actually uh, it's a little bit of a happier thing. Right. Um, but the song Beautiful Day by U2. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that song came out, 
uh, I think we're looking at the year 2000 or 2001. Right. In the early days of my time here in Los Angeles. And man, I, I could barely scrape together enough change out of the couch to go to Taco Bell. And right. Seeing music things not happening quite the way I wanted them to, you know, life was just feeling really kind of hard for me. And so there are certain lines in that song. It's like, you know, traffic is stuck and you're not moving anywhere. Uh, you love this town, even if that doesn't ring true. You've been all over it, and it's been all over you. Right. So much of that felt like very personal to me. But then when it gets to this part in the bridge, and it says, what you don't have, you don't need it now. And that just hit me like this breath of positivity. Hmm. And uh, there was definitely a period of time where I was like, I used to tell people, Bono is my pastor. Right. Because Bono would say things, and I would just go take them like gospel truth. So that song made me cry in that period. And then a couple of times, uh, you know, subsequently seeing that song live will take yeah. me back to that moment. And I right. remember what that song meant to me and what the band has meant to me. And I'll get all worked up all over again. Right. Right. And that was, they were on that tour right after nine 11 happened. Yeah. Cause I remember going to see them at the Staples center yep. and, uh, that was, uh, I don't specifically remember crying, but I remember that being an emotional it was show. Cathartic. It was very cathartic. Yeah. 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 And all the songs in that record, which had come out before nine 11 happened, but it was almost like all the songs in that record seemed to be addressing yep. what everyone was feeling. Walk on stuck yeah. in a moment you can't get out of. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, um, I, I definitely, uh, um, resonate with that. Um, so the third one that I'm going to say, and it's kind of cheating because it's, it's not really so much about the song, but this just happened two weeks ago. And, and I confess, I, I teared up a little. Um, I was in my office and, and my dad had texted me and he said, hey, you should watch the uh, Paul McCartney, uh, James Corden mm. um, carpool karaoke thing. Yeah. And um, so I'm like, yeah, I'll check that out. So I had just gone out and like grabbed some lunch. And I'm like, I'm going to sit here and watch this while I eat my lunch. And uh, there was a, a scene, I, and I think it was Let It Be, mm. but they're driving in the car and, and James Corden gets kind of emotional and he tells Paul McCartney, he, he didn't see it coming. Like he just sort of emotion kind of overtook him. And he talked about how his grandfather um, used to listen to that song with him. And, and he said, wow, you know, I can't believe I'm sitting here in the, in the car with Paul McCartney. If my, if my grandfather was here, you know, yeah. and Paul goes, he is. Oof. And uh, yeah, something about that moment, I was like, it was almost like, seeing Paul McCartney at the age that he is now revisiting all these old songs and just being fun and, yeah. and thinking how significant the Beatles music has been to our culture and how universal it is across generations. All that was kind of emotional. So I, I'll admit that I, I put my burrito down, I got up and I went and shut my door lest <laughs> anyone see a bit of moisture appear at the corner of my eye, which you wiped away with a tortilla. <laughs> <laughs> and, moved on. and then I ate it so no one would find the evidence. Sure, it was let it be. I thought it was say, say, say. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure it was not. Part three. Singer, songwriter, and spoken word artist Mary Lambert is best known for writing and performing the chorus for Same Love, a major hit for Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. The first top 40 song in history to advocate for marriage equality, Same Love was named one of the top 10 singles of 2012 by influential music critic Robert Criscall. The multi-platinum hit earned Mary a Grammy nomination for Song of the Year, as well as an MTV Video Music Award. She went on to sign with Capitol Records as a solo artist, releasing the Billboard Top 20 single, She Keeps Me Warm, followed by Secrets, which reached number one on the Billboard Dance Chart and was certified gold. Her most recent EP, Bold, further solidifies her reputation as an uncompromising singer-songwriter who celebrates vulnerability, honesty, and social awareness. She has been an advocate for mental health issues and was featured in JCPenney's influential Here I Am ad campaign. Mary, welcome to Songcraft. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you here at the Songcraft International World Headquarters in Inglewood, California. Yeah, we're... In, in the flesh. We're here. Right here. This is awesome. <laughs> um, well, I want to start with the song that first catapulted you to national attention. And I'm talking, of course, about 2012's Same Love, the multi-platinum Macklemore and Ryan Lewis hit on which you sang the chorus, which you also wrote. <laughs> I would think hip-hop hates me. 
Talk about how that opportunity came about and how you approached the the writing process itself once the opportunity arose. Yeah, it was really, it felt very divine. Like, I don't, I was not seeking it. I don't know how it happened. Um, you know, I lived in Seattle for much of my life and um, I was really exploring the, I don't know, the intersectionality of being a Christian and a lesbian in my uh, spoken word. So, I, you know, I've always been a songwriter. I've always been a singer. I had just discovered spoken word probably about three years prior and had immersed myself in the scene and loved competition, loved uh, slam slam in, yeah. that, in that world. is uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, you know, subculture. And um, I think, uh, you know, Macklemore and Ryan were looking for um, you know, uh, a gay voice, a, a queer voice to, you know, um, provide some validity and, uh, you know, f- further sort of the, you know, practice what they're preaching. Yeah, and, yeah. um, and I was playing venues to probably like 15 people. Like I was not, I felt like I, I don't think that I really had a, a, a name for myself, you yeah. know? Um, and I got asked out of the blue, I was working probably about three restaurant jobs and uh, it was very bizarre. It was my only day off probably that month. And Mm. I got a call from my friend Hollis Wongware, who um, she's in a group called Flavor Blue. And she's also on the Macklemore album on the heist. Um, And she's a friend of theirs and and suggested me as someone that could um, provide a hook for the song they'd been working on. And this was probably, I think it was the last song that they they were, you know, struggling to, to get finished on the album. And, um, yeah, I got this call around, it must've been about 1 PM and Hollis said, do you want to do a song with Macklemore and Ryan? And I was like, okay, where is this coming from? Sure. She's like, okay, I'm going to send it to you. Um, uh, can you come into the studio later, like, and show them what you have? So I had about two hours to sit with the song and, and I didn't, I I knew of them, but I didn't, I wasn't as familiar with their music. So I either had to, like, I had to make a decision of like, okay, do I like do a bunch of research and like, like, and become really knowledgeable about their repertoire and what they do? Or am I going to try to make the best song possible? And so I chose the latter (laughs) to, um to you didn't have the luxury to dive too deep yeah into the no i had two point. hours <laughs> right <laughs> so i was i mean i was freaking out i you know, of course i called my mom and i called everybody and i was like okay i gotta write this song like i can only take you know one shot of tequila i have <laughs> to focus <laughs> right. um so i uh i really thought about what i wanted to communicate to the world what would i do if i had a chance to tell people what the experience is like and when I listened to the song I was in tears because I was um I was like this is my experience to a T like this is me coming out in the church and um you know my family has a long history with the church and um and so to have my story so beautifully captured in a song um by such a great ally and someone that really gave a shit like yeah. it felt awesome. Were you afraid? <laughs> like, what if I just completely draw a blank? Or? Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm from the camp of improvising. So that's I'm a I improvise all the time. That is like that's my bread and butter. I love yeah. it. I love just sitting down and coming up with something and and uh, even like a fully flushed song and just like having it be there. So I wasn't worried about content I was worried about whether it would resonate with them or not or whether my voice would be good enough or not Mm. um but in I really wanted to do this song so I came up with four choruses (laughs) I was like yeah so I was like (laughs) I need to be the person on this song wow that's amazing yeah um so let's rewind a little bit to kind of your early musical awakenings um how did you first start getting into music of your own and and what can you tell us about kind of your your very earliest attempts at writing songs very early i started writing songs as, pretty much as soon as i could speak but um my mom is a singer songwriter and um you know i feel like i've been pretty open about like the abuse and trauma i went through but my mom obviously was um you know a victim of that trauma and abuse as well so i was 
witnessing my mom channel this pain into beautiful writing into these gorgeous songs and um and she would also you know she'd write these songs around the house like we're gonna take out the trash now you know like (laughs) like fun stuff so that was it became a basic way for me to communicate and um and i didn't realize but it started being a sort of a form of therapy and uh almost like songwriting became survival Mm. um a coping mechanism at a really young age a way to comfort myself yeah um i remember i would write i would write songs for myself that would it would just say you're okay everything's gonna be okay you know like comforting songs and then i just i i guess i just kept adding it at you know working at it and then i uh started learning guitar when i was about nine Mm -hmm. And we always had a piano in the house. Uh, yeah. It was usually a falling apart piano, but it right. was like, it enough was, to, it had character. By. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so was your mom, um, did she do music professionally or or was it a hobby thing for her? Because um, I know was, that she's on your your most recent EP, yeah, Bold. Yeah. I know there's a, that your mom and you have a, a duet song on there together. Yeah. So was is that kind of part of her her background recording and everything, or was she more of kind of a hobbyist? She, I think um, there might've been a point where she could have, she could have gone that way. Um, And she has really, um, she has really intense stage fright and Mm. um, a little bit of anxiety performing. Um, But she performs in choirs a lot. And um, it's, I mean, her soul is there. Her soul's in it. Um, yeah. She's really happy with her, you know, with her day job and the family and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I think um, I she has such a gift and it's, it, it, you know, it, it was so hard for me, like, you know, having my career take off, thinking about my mom and this, like, you know, no one's her, no one got to hear her. And yeah. um so yeah, she wrote she wrote "Love Is Love" and that which is on bold and um, and we're singing it as a duet. It's very beautiful. Look at us now, beautiful family. See how love binds a broken wing. And lost hearts find a home. And love is love is love. Well, I understand that you had a regular weekly gig playing at a coffee house when you were like starting out as a pretty young teenager. Um, In what ways did actually being in front of an audience and having the opportunity that probably not a lot of teenagers have to actually get real life feedback on your songs? How did that sort of shape your development in in sort of in terms of like the craft of of songwriting itself? I'm so glad you asked that question. I feel like that was such a formative experience for me. So I I grew up loving Jewel. Jewel is probably like a huge you know one of my biggest inspirations. Yeah. And um, I had read that she had you know sort of a, a difficult childhood, and then was playing coffee houses when she was 13. Right. And I was 13. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm going to play in coffee houses. <laughs> so I called all the coffee houses. I looked, you know, I went through the phone book, every single coffee house. And um, the only... Phone books. Yeah, it was a phone book. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I called up every single place and no, you know, I'm like, this girl was like, do you need an in-house musician? <laughs> and I was ready to hustle. I was like, I have six songs. Like I'm right. ready. I'm ready to be out there. Right. And um, and the only place that called me back was Starbucks, which was awesome. It was the Starbucks right by my house. So I, you know, it was a probably like a fifteen or twenty minute walk. Yeah. And um, the manager was very sweet, and turned out that he was a composer, and um, he was like well, let me audition you and we'll see how this goes. And he was yeah. very, um, you know, very kind and, and thoughtful and yeah. generous. Um, and he liked my songs. And then I sat at Starbucks every Friday night for two years. Wow. Um, and I would play from six to eight. And I only had six songs, which <laughs> means that I needed to 
improvise a lot. So yeah. that's when I started writing a lot of songs on the spot, um, just kind of going stream of consciousness. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was it was really formative. It really helped me um, become the songwriter I am. Mm, you know, yeah. it's it was sort of a it was a built in diligent practice session. Yeah. You know. Well, and also I, I would guess that you know, people are not necessarily coming to Starbucks because they want to listen to music. So you already have kind of the, the challenges before you right. of, you know, how do I capture somebody's attention? Right. Like how do I actually get somebody who didn't come here for this and get them on my side and get them, you know, digging what I'm doing? Exactly. So I'm sure that, that it's like this crucible where you're like on the job training. Like, yeah. well, I, I did this song and everybody was super into it. And I did this one and everybody's kind of like, eh, whatever. So you're, you're getting like such a real time kind of feedback on your work. That's, exactly. you know, a kid just posting their videos on YouTube, you know, doesn't have that opportunity. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, and it was really neat cause I, the manager let me have my guitar case open. So it was like a little nice. form of income. Yeah. Um, and the voice that I have now is very similar to the voice I had when I was 13. So it was very, it was like an anomaly. It was really, hmm. you know, um, you know, I started making people cry at a very young age. Wow. And, um, and so I made, I made like 50 to $70 a night just by tips, by people Jeez. putting in at 13? money. At 13, yeah, it was awesome. It's amazing. <laughs> and then as I got older, I went through my punk phase, so I looked like an asshole. And <laughs> I'm like playing these songs, and I'm like slightly more aggressive. Right. So <laughs> the money went down. The money went down. And then um, and I, uh, and then I... I got a job at that Starbucks. They wow. hired me afterwards when I, when people stopped tipping me. Well, you know, going from performing at, you know, coffee houses to getting nominated for a Grammy for Song of the Year for Same Love had to be pretty surreal. And, you know, you performed the song, of course, on the Grammys in 2014 and were joined on stage by no less an icon than Madonna, right. who's <laughs> right there, like, trading lines with you. Lines, by the way, that, that you wrote. Uh, talk about what that experience meant to you as a as a writer and as a performer. I mean, surreal is a great is a great descriptor for that. I, I remember when we got the call. I, I was I I forgot what I was doing. That I got the call that not only were we going to be performing this at the Grammys, but that Madonna was going to be singing it w with me and. Right. Um, I just out of all of the icons, you know, she's just she's she's been known for really pushing the envelope and um and what a stellar performer she is. And I also it wasn't just um it wasn't just rooted in ego, although obviously it's part of it of like <laughs> look look how great I am. Right. Um it, it was also um this will hopefully garner more attention to the, you know, the issues of social change that mm -hmm this song represents yeah. and um it just added added attention to that and um i was really emotional about it i cried a lot and j just thinking about the impact that it would have a telecast that goes that wide yeah. um uh thinking about myself as a kid thinking about um other teenagers struggling with their you know their sexual orientation and being accepted in their communities um really what it was really moving for me and i think yeah. i mean any shot you see of me at the grammys i'm probably crying <laughs> it's just so emotional about right, it um right. and uh yeah, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, yeah. And I remember uh, Queen Latifah officiated the ceremony of 33 couples all at the same time. So it was like, it was this huge presentation. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just, like you say, it had this social significance. It wasn't just kind of, oh, I'm up here singing my song with Madonna. But, right. Which in, in itself would be enough to freak out about. But, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, yeah, the couples, I think, is where it really... Hooked right, me right. in my heart. Right. Um, but I was uh, really emotional um, all throughout the process. And the day before 
um, the telecast, I cried, I think, for six hours. Wow. Not consecutively, just throughout the day, <laughs> just emotional. And I actually couldn't get through the performance of the song mm. in our last rehearsal. Um, we had one more dress rehearsal before that. And so everyone was like, is she gonna is she gonna <laughs> be able to be okay? Like and I'm not I feel like there's I, I'm always amazed when singers can cry at the same time as singing. I'm like, there's right. no way. It sounds like it just because I can't. <laughs> you can't. I mean, the, this does not help. It does not help the <laughs> right. situation. Right, right. Um, so I was I was really nervous that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, um, and you know, Madonna and I got, got somewhat close. We had about four rehearsals. And yeah. um, there was a moment where uh, on the dress rehearsal – um, when I was, I was going to hold it together for the right. dress rehearsal to prove to everybody that I wasn't just a crying weenie baby. <laughs> and, um, I was doing great halfway through the, the dress rehearsal. And then they brought the couples in as part of the dress rehearsal and right. I lost it. Right. I was just, I was a mess. And <laughs> Madonna comes over after the, the dress rehearsal and she wipes the tears off of my oh, face. Well. And I just like, like that's not helping. Like, <laughs> now I'm going to cry more. I flung my head back and I was just like, what is happening? I was bartending a year ago. Like, right. And now Madonna is like, comforting me right that's amazing <laughs> it's a very bizarre <laughs> yeah. turn of events in yes, my life yes so around the time that <clears throat> same love hit you put out your first self-released ep letters don't talk um and the song this heart includes the lines this heart is tired and old this heart is charcoal and cold this heart throws the white flag when it gets hard enough. I give up, I give in to the whole of your skin. You have made emotional honesty and and vulnerability a hallmark of your artistic expression, and you've also been very candid about overcoming some real trauma in your childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with that in mind, um, and I know this is a somewhat unusual distinction in terms of of the way songwriting works, but is songwriting for you kind of a way to to process? your own experiences or is it more of a way for you to kind of summarize the experiences that you already have processed as a way to maybe put it out there and, and make it something that might be helpful or a way for other people to connect who are kind of going through the same sorts of things. Right. Totally. I mean, I think it's a combination of both Mm. and each song is its own animal, but I would say in general, probably the former, I, it's, I, I need to process and you know, the, the amount, of the sh- the shit show of trauma of my life, um, uh, I will be continually unpacking. I will be unpacking for the rest of my life and writing in a vulnerable way that is sometimes scary and sometimes, you know, like gut-wrenching is, uh, affords me the ability to live my life in a fulfilling you know a full amount of joy is possible and so that for me is my is uh you know a form of therapy and i think i like to really distinct being a a songwriter and a performer Hmm. the songwriting is a very insular sacred process for me to me that's my that's my direct connection to god like that's I'm I'm in it. I almost go into uh, a trance, you know, mm. sometimes when I'm writing. Yeah. And um and then in the performance, that's when the invitation comes out and that's when the sharing becomes a huge part of what I do. Yeah. And I realize that um for some people it's so much about the music. They're like, I make music and it's about it's about these songs that I've written. And for me it's I identify more with it being about identity and about messaging and um, 
it not just being a pop song or not just being a song, but also the person that it's coming from and the narrative that it's about. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I think that you, you kind of set the template in, in a lot of ways for that, you know, with same love and I hate to keep coming back to same no, love, no. but, um, you know, the, the, there's the line in that song that, that quotes the passage, love is patient, love is kind from the Bible. And then, you know, adds the phrase, not crying on Sundays. Um, and as you, you mentioned er- earlier, you identify as a gay Christian kind of occupying a, a space between, two communities that are often suspicious of one another and, and two groups, which are often stereotyped and misunderstood by outsiders, um, kind of springboarding off what you were just talking about. Tell us kind of about the significance of, of those lyrics and in a larger sense, in what ways your ability to express yourself artistically has helped you come to a place of peace in both your spiritual and your sexual identity. Yeah. <laughs> um, or we could go back to no, what's your favorite no, color. No, <laughs> no. Turquoise. Um, I, I think it's silly that the communities are at war. Um, and I think there's, a, there's actually quite a few gay Christians out there. I'm not, I'm definitely not like, you know, the first. Um, I, I don't think God has humanly desires. I think that like, I think that God just exists Mm. and, um, and we are a part of that and we are all, uh, you know, it's, it's omnipresent Mm. and, uh, rather than trying to attribute almost human qualities to God, I think is a disservice to the, um, to the, to the glory, you know, <laughs> not to, yeah. not to get super churchy, but, yeah. um, I think the Bible also serves as sort of a social commentary as well. And so when you have very specific things about how people are supposed to live their lives and not wearing the same cloth and not eating shellfish, these were meant for sort of protections socially. Right. And, um, we have come up with solutions for a lot of these things that wouldn't be applicable today. So in what way can can the Bible be a living document that of like to be a a source of goodness and, and love. And I mean, that's what it is for me. It's a, it's a symbolic of those things. And I would imagine that, you know, in the last certain, in the last few years, you, you've attained a certain notoriety you know, and there's probably also that thing of you don't want to be turned into a commodity. Like, I don't want to be the 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 poster child for, you know, this particular gay issue or this particular mm-hmm. Christian issue, whatever. You know, write us a song so we can splash your face up on our banner and be like, yeah, she's on, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, you can sort of lose your soul in a way when, when people kind of want to, you know, latch on to you and, and use your creativity to further their purpose rather than saying, okay, well, here's something that actually fits really well. And let's like, we've got this synergy, so let's work together. Well, I, so, I, I believe that there are, I mean, there's probably more than two song kinds of songwriters, but I'm really in this belief system of like, there are people that are so dedicated to the craft and they sit down and they write a song and they're like, I'm going to write the best song I possibly can. Yeah. And I'm going to honor the craft of songwriting. And there are people that sit down and say, I'm going to die unless this song comes out of me. Hmm. And there's like a fire within it. And it doesn't like the craft is really secondary or not even applicable. Like it's just about soul and it's just about channeling something yeah. that's kind of divine. And I, I far more identify with that. But what's interesting is actually I feel like when I write pop music, I'm thinking much more about the craft of like what is, you know, very yeah. Max Martin-esque of like does this line line up here? Where's our sure. rhyme? Like like where's the big bridge and how do we want to make that happen? But yeah. I would say my natural instinct is to is to channel something. Yeah, bleed on the page. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, in the wake of Same Love, you signed with Capitol Records and released an EP called Welcome to the Age of My Body featuring She Keeps Me Warm, which was built around that same chorus that you contributed to Same Love. And uh, that hit the top 20 in Billboard and really established you as a solo artist. Um, I'd be curious, just kind of from a, a nuts and bolts perspective, how that kind of worked from like an actual songwriting copyright, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like I guess what I'm asking is, 
you had already contributed something that was yours and yours alone, but it then became part of this other work that's credited to you and Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Um, did you have to kind of like get permission to take back the thing that you had contributed and rework it into an entire new copyrighted work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I wanted to be really delicate and make sure that same love had its own, it was its own thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that there was sort of a secondary story to same love and that was the, it just being a love song. It just being about someone that keeps you warm and, yeah. and that that's a universal feeling. And, um, I mean, the guys were so awesome about it. It was a very, like, it was a very easy process, at least, yeah. lo you know, logistically. Um, I actually, I remember after I did Same Love, I was doing, when I was doing solo shows, I'd get requests for me to sing the song. And I'm like, I don't, I don't rap <laughs> that well yet. Um, but I, I guess I could, I could figure out a way to incorporate the chorus. So I took a very, a much older song that I think was originally called, I called it Baby or something like that. And um, I kind of Frankensteined it and I yeah. pulled the chorus out of that and I put the chorus of Same Love and I just try I tried it out at a show and people really liked it. Yeah. And um, and then I performed it at, uh, on K KEXP for their, one of their in-studio performance and it got picked up and people really loved it and they were... Um, they had ripped it and were using it for their weddings. And I was like, you know what? I'll just, I'll record this. So it, yeah. it just became one step yeah, at yeah. a time. And then, um, and then signing the record deal kind of, um, we pushed it even further. And, yeah. um, uh, but I think I was ready for the dialogue to change and the, you know, it was, it, the timing was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Everything happened as it, I felt it should have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other songs on that first Capital EP were Body Love Parts 1 and 2. And you know, I look at those tracks as like extended spoken word pieces about body image. Um, and I know that that poetry is an important part of your creativity. And this is definitely an example of kind of blurring those lines between song and poem. Mm -hmm. um, is there a, a, a difference for you? Um, in terms of how you approach the writing process with a, a poem versus a, a song, or is it all kind of the same thing? They're very different for me. And mm. I think that's why I love spoken words so much is because it accesses a different part of the brain. I don't know what part it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh, – I'm usually if – I'm, if I'm writing poems, I'm usually writing on a laptop or something where things can come out really quickly and I can edit very – I edit as I write. Mm. Um, and it's usually spurred by uh, a conversation or, um, an exchange or, um, something I'm feeling in the world that I have to get out and, yeah. um, and body love, you know, I wrote that probably 10 years ago now. And, um, I, sometimes I cringe when I'm reading it. I'm like, Oh my, you know, my new stuff is so good. And this <laughs> is, you know, I feel like that's a, the common plight. Um, but I, it was such a, it, it felt like something that needed to come out of me. Right. And I was just, I was seeing so many women in my life, myself included, uh, just going down a path of like complete self-destruction because, um, because I didn't have anyone that loved me or like I wasn't in a relationship and therefore mm. my worth was non-existent. And, um, the, the, you know, the phrase that I felt was very important was like, I only know how to exist when I'm wanted. Mm, yeah. And that for me was like complete turmoil. Um, and I wanted to figure out a way to love myself in, in, you know, in spite. Yeah. Um, not in spite, despite, <laughs> <laughs> despite everything. Right. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. where that body yeah. love came out of that. I know girls who are trying to fit into the social norm like squeezing in last year's prom dress. I know girls who are low-rise, Mac eyeshadow, and binge drinking. I know girls that wonder if they're disaster and sexy enough to fit in. 
I know girls who are fleeing bombs from the mosques of their skin. Playing Russian roulette with death, it's never easy to accept that our bodies are fallible and flawed. But when do we draw the line? Well, in the fall of 2014, Capitol released your first full-length album, Heart on My Sleeve, uh, which included the single Secrets. And that song hit number one on the Billboard dance chart and was certified gold. It's it's also a much kind of bigger approach to production than mm-hmm. your, your previous work. Um, but at the same time, the lyrics are very personal and very real. Um, talk about going into that writing process for the major label debut with, with capital and, and in what ways was that process similar and, and different than the way you'd approached writing in the past? Very different though. I think in retrospect to have very different feelings than I did then. Um, when I was in it, I was like, I'm making these decisions. These are, <laughs> these are, you know, I'm in charge. Um, mm. I don't think that I was actually in charge. I think that there was a facade <laughs> that I was in charge. Ah. Um, but you mean there was corporate manipulation? <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> um, I still like I view my time at Capital very positively in general. Yeah. Like what came out of it was awesome, mm. and um, although the process was incredibly difficult and can you know was disheartening at times, I think uh, I had never. Well, it was my first full length record. Um, I had only worked with um, really one other producer before one or two other producers and I wasn't used to I'd never been in a co-writing session before my writing has always been you know when I'm crying at my piano or having this you know divine connection to God so like sitting in a room with three people that I'd never met before that Mm. seemed like very nice people I just I was wasn't my you know I had my guard up I wasn't I wasn't used to that yeah um and it proved its own set of challenges but i do think that it's a good experience to have and you should know how to write songs at at in any capacity you know so i think i just started looking at it as a way of like i will i'm growing as a writer to know how to co-write with other people Yeah. yeah um but i the actual recording process was really difficult i was I did three tours that year, one with Macklemore, one solo, and then I was on tour with Gavin DeGraw and Matt Nathanson, and I was promoting three different singles. We were promoting Same Love. That was the year of the Grammys. Yeah. That was um, that was following the year of the VMAs. That was uh, – then we were promoting She Keeps Me Warm, and then we promoted Secrets all in that year. Yeah. I think I'd been home for a collective of three weeks wow. out of the entire year. Jeez. And um, – and I kept trying to be like, I'm, I have a, I have a mental disorder, everyone. Mm. Like, can right. we like be a little bit easier on me? I don't know. <laughs> but no, there's a <laughs> for a second, maybe. <laughs> so I think my anxiety was shooting up. I was, I was having a lot more episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, just mentally that I, where I wasn't well. And um, any time that I was supposed to have rest or time off, I would fly across the country to have one session one writing session in LA yeah. to get a song done. And so I wrote all of those songs in that environment, mm-hmm. um, just flying to LA at any chance that right. um, was free to get this done. And I wanted to take the process a lot slower, but you know, in the, you know, in the executive world, it's really like, go, go, go time yeah. is money. You know, yeah. you got to strike while it's hot. Um, yeah. And I I didn't realize that I was making my voice smaller to fit other people hmm. in the room or to fit other other narratives or or what people wanted. And I think when you sign to a label or you sign or you sign with a, a manager or things like that, you kind of you want to heed advice. Yeah. And there I feel like there's a really fine line of knowing what you want to accomplish. And shutting that up and taking criticism or taking like taking taking advice. Like yeah. and I didn't realize that I was shutting up parts of myself hmm. because someone said they knew more than me. So while someone may have, you know, have worked with so and so and had, you know, Katy Perry's project team, um, I 
uh, that doesn't mean that that's my project team or that right. doesn't mean that that's exactly what I want to accomplish. Yeah. And just knowing that there's, uh, even though I might not know the intricacies of how something works, I, I think that I have a clear understanding of what I want to accomplish, you know? Mm. Yeah. Instincts. Yeah. But you know, you look at a song like, like same love, which was not just a hit. It was uh, an anthem for this whole marriage equality movement. Um, you know, and it carried a, a social significance beyond just sounding great on the radio. Um, and then, you know, body love, you know, as an example, I mean, you're tackling these, these issues of shame and, and body image and empowerment. And, you know, it's, it, there's a gravitas, you know, there. Um, and even, you know, secrets is, is, it sounds like this, like, fun dance song but like yeah. you're you're hitting some like real stuff you yeah. know insecurities and and all that kind of thing <laughs> star rose so to speak as you became more known to the public um does that come with with particular burdens and i guess what i'm really asking is do people kind of put things on you or expect you to be something when they encounter you in real life because they feel like they know you through the music right I think there's a couple things that happen. Usually it's like, you're so positive and happy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was not expecting that, you know, um, in regards to probably my older work or um, the more, you know, deeply gutting stuff. Yeah. Um, um, I think the other thing that happens is because I speak really openly about trauma, I forget that there's not totally an education built in about how journalists um, address people that have experienced trauma hmm. and um, that, you know, telling your story on your terms is like essential to, uh, to health, to yeah. positive mental health and self-care. And um, the only reason that I talk about, you know, what I've experienced so freely is because I feel in charge and I feel yeah. in control and, um, it's hard when that's sort of, uh, taken from you or, or shaped or used as a shock value or as mm. a, you know, a, gr a grouping headline. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's funny because so many of these, those events that I've experienced had to do with, um, uh, being, you know, taken advantage of or, or being violated in some way. Mm. And the, the process of having your story being taken from you is its, is its own sort of, um, you know, emotional violation. Yeah. So I, I mean, and so a journal, you mean, what you mean by that, I guess, is like a journalist coming up to you and just like some direct question about, you know, trauma in your life. And you're like, Whoa, I don't know you just because I put this in my song. Doesn't yeah. mean like I'm looking to have a totally. Yeah. I mean, I think oftentimes, like in an, in a, in in this environment, this is, seems like a much more applicable time to go in depth to hmm. talk about you know the sexual abuse I've gone through. Like yeah. this, this is safe. This makes sense. I'm in a. It's relaxed. Um, it's not okay when it's seven a.m. and I'm doing a radio phone or talking to, you know. Peter Poophead and he's like so you were raped and I'm like it's 7am that's not part of that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about that right right yeah let's get into that in the secrets. three minutes yeah. we have here <laughs> it's like I don't mention that in the song like yeah let's if it's if it's about the music if you were promoting the music then let let it be about the music if you yeah. want if this is more in depth about my identity or who I am we can go there but yeah. I, it's like it's a matter of being safe. So, and especially in regards to, you know, the EP that I've just released, it was like, no, I, I'm promoting this EP. Like, I'm not promoting my trauma. This is not right. something I'm, right. I'm, I'm there for. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, 
Well, I'm going to skip the next 10 questions, which are all directly about childhood trauma. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you mentioned your new EP. Yeah. Bold. Um, you released it independently after raising the money almost immediately via a, a Kickstarter campaign. Why was it important for you to sort of step away from that major label deal and return to your indie roots? Yeah, I when um, when Capital and I parted ways, which was honestly like I believe like one of the kindest acts of love, and they were so sweet to me and uh, were on great terms. Um, I had parted ways with my management and the label, and. I think that I was swimming for a while where I was like, I don't know what I have to find a manager and I have to find a label and I'm, and nobody wants me like these, mm. you know, I definitely had a, 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 a tiny crisis. Yeah. And, um, I think I start, I, t- I talked to a few different labels and we talked about possible deals, um, with, um, with a few different people and, I think ultimately as I was, you know, I was discussing this a lot with my partner and um, with my friends and just realizing that I don't think in any situation I'm going to be happy on a label. I'm too, I'm too invested in the business side of what I do. I'm too invested in logistics. I'm too invested in tour managing, like yeah. what, whatever it is. Like I'm, I am, I am the I'm the I'm the service like I'm right. the I'm the product I'm all I'm all of it right. and it is so important for me that my identity and the messaging comes across in every aspect of what I do whether it is in business or whether it is um, in what you hear on the radio yeah and I just knew that there's there's no partner for me in that mm. way and that the best thing that I could think of was to really approach those communities that have lifted me up um, and see how they felt. And I think it was also an experiment of like, am I still relevant? Like, do people (laughs) even like what I do? I don't know. (laughs) I've been kind of in the dark here and, and I've sort of subscribed to label rhetoric for the last two years, which is uh, a very, um, you know, binary idea of success or failure. And, um, and I just, I didn't realize how much I disagreed with it Mm. of like, I have a different idea of what success looks like. And obviously like finances and appeasing a shareholder is, is some part of it, I guess. But the biggest thing for me is like, um, if, if we all believe that, you know, 95% 95% of artists are going to fail, then why not let them fail with dignity doing something that they love rather than having them defer over and over again what they actually want to do? Yeah. Like how many times uh, do you hear that of like, well, if you just get this thing done, then you can do exactly what you want mm-hmm. once you've just achieved this certain amount right, of right. success. It doesn't end. It doesn't go away. Right, right. Why not just do exactly what the fuck you want to do now? Yeah. And be happy and live your life and take care of your body and take care of your personal relationships. And these things don't have to suffer in order for you to be successful. It just depends on what kind of success you're after. Yeah. And as opposed to let's, let's chip away at you, chip away at you, chip away at you so that then you can be you. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I mean, um, my partner said this, she was like, okay, so you know, you go and you make a bunch of money and you buy a yacht. Who's on that yacht with you? And I just like, <laughs> I feel like that's such a great, it's a great, like, who's who's going to be on that yacht with you? Yeah. And yeah. and I was like, I need, I, I need more time at home. Right. I need more time to be a person. Yeah. And yeah. I want to be stoked about every single thing I'm doing and yeah. aware. Yeah. There's so much that goes on when you're on a label that you don't know that is just kind of going on behind right. closed doors. And um, and I'm so glad that I'm not experiencing that. No, I know exactly <laughs> where my finances are. Right. I know, you know, I, things aren't being spent stupidly, right. you know. <laughs> you are the CEO of Mary Lambert Yeah, it feels really good. <laughs> 
Well, you've got some some pretty heavy hitter collaborators on Bold, um, including Tobias Carlson, who, who's worked with Adam Lambert and you know all kinds of artists, uh, as well as Toby Gad, who's actually been a guest on our show and is oh. known for co-writing Fergie's Big Girls Don't Cry and John Legend's All of Me. Um, but despite the heavy hitters, <laughs> uh, I actually want to, to ask you about the song Hang Out With Me, which was written with your girlfriend, Michelle. It could be that I'm lazy or unmotivated. I've got plenty to do. I just want to hang out with you. Just want to hang out with you. What is the dynamic uh, for you of creating something artistically with the person you're also sharing life with? Because I know that can sometimes be a, a much different process than writing with an industry colleague or even a, you know, a virtual stranger. Right. Um, it's funny. I mean, Michelle and I actually met because we were, you know, we were kind of fans of each other. And yeah. um, she was a runner up on the voice. She right? was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was on the voice. And, um, uh, I just, I loved watching her. I loved watching her connect with people. She had such a, a, an emotional intensity that I felt like I resonated with where I was just, um, I was like, we're on the same, we're on the same page. This is awesome. Right. Um, so, you know, I reached out to her wanting to collaborate and wanting to make music and, um, we started working on music and it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. So I was, so we had, we ended up having a much deeper personal connection. So we kind of stayed away from collaborating for a couple years. And, um, and then I think some time had passed for like, okay, let's try this again. Maybe, right. you know, and I realized that I think I was just really nervous mm. when I, when I met her. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I was very good. I was nervous. <laughs> um, and uh, so making Hangout With You was like so much fun. And uh, it was kind of, it was like the last song I had, I had written while I was on the label, which I feel like is kind of indicative of like the, some of the lyrics. You can hear it. Of mm. Like, I don't want to write a song. I don't want to do this. I mm. just want to hang out with you. And so, yeah, yeah. so having, having that experience with Michelle was awesome. And, you know, she produced it and uh, those are all you know, her sounds and her voice. And I just, I have so much respect for her as an artist. You guys could just make records all the time. Yeah, totally. Nice. We've been talking about making it like a holiday record. Oh, cool. I think that'll be really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think my favorite track on Bold is Lay Your Head Down, which oh. is kind of this pro-crying manifesto that <laughs> yeah. somehow manages to be poignant and like hilarious. And it's all kinds of things in the scope of this, of this, you know, one song. I cry when there is no end and I cry because there is an end and I cry because you love me so well. And I cry because I gave my love to other people before you. And I cry because I used to cry alone because I wanted to die. I cry because the sunset is so beautiful on the Connecticut River. I cry because I am scared I am losing my mind. I cry because I'm on meds or because I forgot my meds. Or I'm crying for the fact I'm crying because I forgot my meds. And does this mean I'm actually myself? You mentioned earlier you, you, you love you think crying's a good thing. You, know, you yeah. gotta get gotta wash the eyeballs. But um, what inspired that particular song? Well, it was interesting. Actually, the chorus came from a jam I had with some friends in a church. Um, uh, so that was sort of where the piano part and the chorus came from. And I'm trying to think of what, like, what was the impetus of this? I think, oh, yeah, it actually came from um, the line where I talking, where I'm talking about my meds of um, I, I cried because I forgot my meds. And I, well, I wasn't crying because I forgot my meds. I was crying because I was very emotional on the day that I forgot my meds. And then I cried harder because I was like, does this mean that I just cry all the time, that I would just cry mm. because of sadness if I didn't have my meds? Or is this a reaction because I miss my meds and it's more extreme? Or am I actually somebody that just cries all the time? Right. And how much of this is sad and how much of this is like just something that exists? And, um, and just realizing that I... I'm an extreme person. I, mm. you know, and 
I'm complex and it's scary to be a complex person. And um, especially when we're told that the best way to be loved or understood is to be digestible. Mm. So, so many of us, I think, cut off parts of ourselves in order to fit categorically into things and to be, you know, understood. And what would happen if we really embraced all of our complexity? And um, so I think lay your head down with sort of a trust fall into this is all the, these are all of the things that I cry about. Right, Do you right. guys still like me? <laughs> <laughs> and also sort of the belief system of, um, you know, when people come into my shows, they, I, I make a lot of jokes, but there's also a lot of crying and yeah. it's, it's very much a roller coaster. And I think I wanted some sort of like, this was like lay your head down is like my thesis yeah. of like, welcome to the show. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, Mary Lambert, we now know all the things that you cry about, and <laughs> we still like you. Good, so, thanks. Thank you so much for for doing this today. This has really been a pleasure, just to kind of get pull back the curtain and and get more of your story and hear the background of, of more of your songs. And uh, real pleasure for us just to just to have you here as our guest. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Again, you can find us by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. While Songcraft is available to our listeners at no charge, we ask friends like you to consider becoming a Songcraft patron at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. There you can pledge as little as $2 per month to help Songcraft continue its mission of bringing you great interviews with great songwriters. Plus, you'll have the opportunity to access bonus content and get the chance to enjoy unique rewards and experiences as a member. We look forward to getting together again with you for the next episode of Songcraft Spotlight on Songwriters. When I was in the third grade, I thought that I was gay because I could draw. My uncle was and I kept my room straight. I told my mom.